Father, uh, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this message uh, and pray that as we study it this evening, we would, we would understand the passage and see its application for our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so describing all of these different things that are going to be taking place uh, as we approach uh, what will be the tribulation, uh, Jesus, the next thing that he says that will be taking place, that will be noticeable, uh, then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, he is there, do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So uh, we have seen uh, an exponential growth in the number of people that claim to be prophets, claim to be Christ, and um, you know, no need to chase after those. Uh, you know, the, he's specifically going to say, and we see, we hear in other places. You know, in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give us uh, its light. Verse twenty-four: the stars of heaven will fall, the power powers in heavens, which you know probably has an indication of angelic forces, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more. Uh, then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Uh, you know, when, when all the other light sources go out uh, and you see Jesus in his glory, uh, that's the Christ, right? It, it's not a, you know, you, you find some very charismatic leader who, you know, everyone around this person might be saying, you know, is this Christ? This is the Christ. You know, this is Jesus reincarnate. We hear all kinds of strange things. You don't have to sit around and wonder. Uh, you know, at his appearing, uh, he will be plainly visible. Uh, it, it's not something you're going to have to use uh, discernment about. I, I'll touch on the subject of discernment briefly. Someone said that to me again recently. Um, that uh, they had the gift of discernment. And um, I've gotten in the habit of asking people really quickly, what do you mean by that? Do, do you mean, and I'll clarify for them, do you mean that like the gift of tongues, like the gift of prophecy, uh, like the gifts that come from the Spirit, you have received the gift of discernment? And almost always they say, yeah. And then I'll take them and show them uh, the gift of discernment is not listed in the scripture. That's that's not a gift of the spirit. Okay, the discerning of spirits is a gift of the spirit, and that is to be able to say that is of the Holy Spirit or no, that is of demonic influence. The church was suffering from people who would come in and stand up and begin to, you know, prophesy. And they were prophesying falsely. They were saying things that were contradictory to the scripture. They, they were contradicting the leadership of the church. And a person who had the gift of discerning spirits would say, this is demonic. This is not of the Lord. Or if someone had potentially, you know, demon possession. You know, a, a person who has epilepsy might just be having seizures. Another person who's 
demon-possessed might be having epileptic seizures because of demonic possession. And you need the ability to discern spirits to know these things. That whole thing we hear today of I have the gift of discernment. Uh, okay, I'm not even going to argue with you. You might be a very discerning person. You might, you might, but don't try to act like it's a spiritual gift. Because then, if your discernment is inaccurate, <laughs> who can contradict you? Because you're claiming that it belongs to the Holy Spirit. So you're now you're blaming God for whatever supposed discernment you just belched out. We, we've all got to swallow that uh, because because you you know tagged the end of it with it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's it's not even listed. It's not a real gift. Uh, there are things that people come up with, and there's probably people watching online right now that are now declaring that this idiot has no idea what he's talking about. You know, say why? Because they have the gift of discernment. You know, it's it's crazy. The, the, you know, research, read, understand. You know what the Lord is saying. So that you know the, the discernment to determine whether someone is a prophet is the Christ. It's plainly seen. Uh, you know, the Holy Spirit uh, produces certain characteristics in the life of a person as it causes them to have a spiritual gift. Paul saying, though I speak with the tongue of men and of angels, but have not love, right? I, I am a you know, resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. You are just a noise. We don't have to, just because you say, thus saith the Lord, whatever follows that we have to accept, right? First Corinthians chapter 14 says, uh, Paul speaking to the church at Corinth, because they're doing stuff like that, he says, when one person prophesies, let the others who sit by judge. The others who are capable of, of discerning Prophecy. How do you discern prophecy? Number one, does it line up with the word of God? If you declare something that doesn't line up with the word of God, we don't have to listen. And we're supposed to then say that is false, right? If someone says, thus saith the Lord, and then it doesn't happen, you're supposed to tell the church, this person claimed to be a prophet, spoke on behalf of God, and it didn't come true. Thus, they are a false prophet. None of us should ever listen to them again regarding prophecy. You know, maybe they can repent and have a wonderful message for the church about what it means to have been a false teacher and a false prophet and to have repented. You know, then the church could listen to them. But if they're out there declaring garbage, we, we don't need. We should not listen to them. We should reject them wholesale. Uh, interesting. You know, a number of years ago, a, a local minister uh, would do that, uh, declare, "Thus saith the Lord," and uh, they put on their bulletin. Uh, Thus saith the Lord, if this church will double her tithe in two years, she will have her new building. Put her in on the cover of the bulletin. Well, you know, the Holy Spirit didn't tell that pastor that. Right? A calculator did. Right? 
gee, if we doubled what's coming in, right, <clears throat> and published it. Um, <clears throat> some things that people don't realize. Um, the They finally got their new building. It was more than five years later. So originally it was if she'll double her tithe, um, she'll receive her new building within two years. Two years came and went. You know, when they got to about 18 months, they took that off their bulletin. That wasn't there anymore. And um, they literally, anyway, there's a bunch of stuff that went on. Um, when they finally got their building uh, a little more than five years later, uh, a number of people had left the church. So the people that were there were new and weren't aware of what had happened previously. And the building was one quarter the size, one fourth of the original blueprints that had been presented to the church. This is the church we're going to build. And if you double your tithe in two years, we can have that building. And then five plus years later, they build the building and, and declare the Lord is, and it's one quarter the size of the original uh, blueprint. And um, then, you know, some years later, uh, it's discovered that the pastor is a chronic drunk. Um, not, not like uh, he got drunk and people found out about it. Like it was found out that he's drunk all the time. And he makes the confession that uh, almost every service that he preached at that church, he was drunk in the pulpit. Uh, but he, he, he was insistent that the church should not remove him from being the pastor, uh, that, uh, he had good friends that ran a rehab and he was going to go to that rehab and they were going to fix him and he was going to come back. And so he went to the rehab and two weeks into that, the board is discovering that there's you know, almost a quarter million dollars missing from their books. And uh, so they launch an investigation, which ends up being taken to the DA and charges are pressed. He comes back trying to preserve his position as pastor before he even finishes rehab and uh, ends up leaving town and leaving uh, all this. And in the end, uh, there's a settled negotiation, and he uh, uh, settles with the church for $180,000. False teachers, false prophets. Um, you know, I, I don't do that. And I, I mean, I hope you recognize, like, I spared a bunch of details. You know, I, I have no desire to shame anybody, you know, in particular, but... But my point is, you can know who the real prophets are and who they're not. Usually the false prophets declare themselves to be a prophet. Usually the real prophets make no mention of being a prophet. They just say things to you that are life-changing. They say things to you that ground you in the word and change you. They say things uh, predictive to you very often that are positive, you know, rarely are they conditional. Like if they usually don't say things like if, you know, they say things like when, you know, 
when the Lord fulfills this in your life, then this will happen. You know, a, you know, a, a positive, you know, affirmation of things. False prophets. Uh, there's false prophets all around us. You know, declaring themselves to be some authoritative presence. Uh, Matthew chapter seven. Jesus very specifically says, "You'll know them. You don't have to wonder." Uh, you'll know them by their fruits. You know, you'll be able to discern what, what fruits. Well, if there's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, right? If you see the fruit, singular, of the Holy Spirit in their lives, but if you see, right, the work of the flesh, the works of the flesh, plural, and yet they're saying, thus saith the Lord, probably not. Probably not. So, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of people that come along. Uh, you know, the blatant examples of the, you know, Jim Jones and uh, David Koresh, Waco, Texas, all that. You know, we have those types of examples. People that literally say, I'm the Messiah and are proven to be false. Uh, but there are lots of subtle ones that have, you know, blog is like the, the big thing now. You know, was like televangelists, and now you got people that are online and they've got a following, and they, you know, they got a, a gajillion followers, and they, you know, have everybody's, you know, liked them along the way, and then you go listen to what they have to say, and they're false. You'll know them by their fruits. Uh, you know, in those days, you know, but in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light. The stars of heaven will fall and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. You know, people, you know, stars falling from the skies, not even stars. You know, it is uh, to that end probably a figure of speech, but I, I believe that based on what's being said here, it will be a combination of the light from stars is going out and simultaneously on earth perhaps we're experiencing uh or they are experiencing you know meteor showers you know where you see what we commonly refer to as falling stars so stars going out and uh you know meteor showers falling stars and the, you know these these astrological signs uh will be there the stars of heaven will fall powers in the heavens will be shaken um yes quite possible that we're talking about uh, you know either both uh, that stars will move stars will fall you know shaking will occur um, you know things moving out of place um, everything is decaying everything is falling apart that which we look at is so uh predictable will, will be destabilized um you know if you're on a planet that is experiencing massive massive like never before seismic activity earthquakes then the stars in heaven will appear to shake I, how, how is this you know defined what are we talking about all of this stuff is potentially what we're talking about what jesus is saying over and over again is the people that are, you know, I'm paraphrasing it, modern vernacular, but the people who see this will understand what I'm saying. You know, as they're experiencing it, they're going to be like, oh, oh, that's what was meant by the stars will be shaken. 
you know, here I am on a planet that's shaking the entire globe. And look, the stars appear to be shaking. Or, or the heavens themselves wearing out and shaking and falling. How does this uh, end up happening? Like, like I said, those who witness it will understand. Uh, you know, we, we have seen you know, many things. The prophet uh, thousands of years ago depicting the drying up, uh, you know, partial drying up of the Nile Delta. And people, you know, the, the, the depiction of the snails and the way they would burrow into the reeds and the destruction of the vegetation. And, you know, people mocked that for more than a thousand years. That's a ridiculous. 1960, the Soviets helped the Egyptian government build the Aswan Dam. And it destroyed the Nile Delta. And everything that was predicted came true a little more than 1,200 years after the prophet said so. Uh, and everybody was then standing around going, oh, that's what this means. <laughs> that's what the prophet meant when he said these things. You know, And, and the devastation, it's interesting because the first level of de devastation didn't complete all the prophet said about the locations and the geography of the destruction of the delta. So then the critics uh, stood up and said, oh, well, right, I mean, yes, certain things have happened, but look right here, you know, the prophet's saying that all these other terrible things will happen, and none of that's happened. And seven years later, uh, they built the upper Aswan Dam and finished the job. You know, it's so interesting uh, that God is always silencing the critics. In fact, within that same thing, I think I've described recently, um, the critics uh, were mocking the scripture, uh, saying that uh, in Roman history, nowhere was uh, Pontius Pilate uh, mentioned. That you know only biblical resources refer to Pontius Pilate, and, and uh, you know it's absolute. You know, it's a fake made-up thing uh, just to support Christianity and the crucifixion of Jesus. And they're, you know, all saying it's fake. And and when the Aswan, the upper Aswan was uh, built, uh, the uh, sand dunes that were built by the silt that uh, backed up because of the Nile Delta, uh, that stopped happening. And uh, those dunes uh, began to dry and the wind uh, began to blow all of that sand away. And uh, two Israeli helicopter pilots flying back into country saw this big horseshoe, massive horseshoe shape in uh, the sands. And they, uh, archaeologists went there and began to excavate. And uh, Caesarea Maritime was discovered. And that was the amphitheater. The, the horseshoe was the amphitheater uh, that was there. And, and there <clears throat> on the wall, of the amphitheater was a, a big, uh, I think it's two and a half feet by two and a half feet square plaque uh, referencing Pontius Pilate. Yeah. It, it, you know, the, the things that the Lord uh, accomplishes, you know, when he describes these things here and, and the oh, stars don't fall from the sky. You know, you hear people criticizing, saying things. The Lord repeatedly you know, when we're seeing, hearing Jesus say in the book of Revelation, uh, you know, uh, let him who discerns understand. Uh, the way that's written is when you see it, you'll understand. You know, when you lay eyes on this, 
uh, you know, light will dawn on marble head, and, and you will know what I am talking about. So here, you know, he's making this statement. Uh, you'll see the Son of Man uh, coming in the clouds with great power and glory, and then he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest parts of earth to the farthest part of heaven. Um, the elect, a lot of people want to debate about that. You know, who are the elect? They are the saved. Yeah, well, are they Jews or are they Gentiles? Like I said, they're the saved. <laughs> we know. Uh, in the kingdom, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. You know, well, are they men or are they women? Yes. You know, uh, you're nailing it on the head. The elect. No, no need for us to get into some wild debate about predestination and election. And before. You, want, you want to be one of the elect? Uh, accept him. Choose. You know, you can't handle that, don't want to, can't think it's possible, then don't. Yeah. And, and prove that you're not. Why have some big dilemma about this? It's really nothing more than a very divisive uh, thing. Uh, the four winds. There are more than four winds. You know, the critics again, you know, uh, Revelation saying that he would gather the elect from the four corners of the earth. See, the Bible's stupid. It says it's four corners. Well, you know, apparently the United States government is stupid also. You know, and the Marine Corps, because I just read recently that we have uh, Marines on all four corners of the earth. <laughs> North, south, east, and west is... You know, the true points of the compass is all that it's saying. You know, the, the four winds. Uh, they'll be uh, sent in all directions to gather those that are the elect. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that it is near at the doors. Um, assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Um, <clears throat> when I was very young, um, uh, pastors often taught that uh, the fig tree being tender and putting forth its branch was uh, symbolic of Israel. And in particular, being tender and putting forth its branch was it becoming a nation again in 1948. And that uh, the generation uh, that saw that happen would not pass away until all of these things were fulfilled. So uh, a generation was 40 years, and therefore um, all of these things were going to be fulfilled within 40 years. And everybody was all excited uh, about, you know, w what date was that going to be? And, of course, we went through a couple different phases, but the outside possibility based upon their interpretation of that was 1988, 1948, 40 years, 88. And I forget the author's name, but he published the book, uh, you know, 88 Reasons Why God Will Not Be Late in 1988. So, and it came and went. And I was astonished uh, when he published uh, 89 Reasons Why Jesus is Going to Return in 1989. So, uh, 
real moneymaker. Anyway, first one was. I don't know about the second one. Probably not as many people you know about that. But anyway, um, you know, we've had a few different interpretations that have come along uh, over the years uh, regarding this. Um, you know, if I say to you, not knowing this passage, and I just say generically to us, um, there's a hidden thing in the scripture that tells us when Jesus is going to come back. Uh, what should your mind and your heart automatically do, right? R reject that. So, so to take this, even though it's the words of Jesus, and do that is ill-advised. And uh, it's been disproven over and over again. Uh, there's still some holdouts, right? Because uh, you have different definitions of a generation, right? Uh, there, there are those that say, well, no, it wasn't 40 years. It's, it's 70 years. Okay, well, just, you know, you're just moving and guess what? You know, come and gone. And so everybody's, you know, okay, well, okay, how about, um, you know, uh, the fact that God said that Israel would be inside uh, you know, Egypt as captives uh, for four generations, and it turns out they're 400 years, so it's 100 years, right? Uh, well, so now we got to wait for that. Uh, how about if we throw all of that out and look at what is known about this passage and what Jesus is saying? Uh, like, hands down, no questions. Number one, uh, it's a parable. That's, I mean, so it's just something known laid next to something that's unknown, okay? Well, uh, what is the known uh, here? Uh, the known uh, here are the things that Jesus is telling us are going to take place. The unknown is, uh, what is the generation? Well, uh, how about uh, the generation that sees that is the generation that actually sees that? The generation that sees these things take place will not pass away till they're all fulfilled. What about just doing it that way? The generation that sees these things transpire will see all of these things transpire. There's a thought. You, know, you, don't, you don't have to stretch at all. Now, certainly, we have at least two references, others, as many as six, that give us a hint uh, we have direct statements about Israel being a fig tree, too. We have as many as a half dozen that give us a poetic understanding that the fig tree is referenced as we talk about Israel. So you could interpret them to mean that Israel is represented by the fig tree. So the parable of the fig tree, when its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. Uh, what about that concept? Just, just in general, that, uh, you know, I, I use the examples of spring and fall with the leaves. Here, I, I did tree work for a number of years and became very attuned to trees and their health and the things that are going on. And spring of the year, um, the trees get a pinkish tone to them as the Cambrian membrane thaws and... It begins to pull the moisture out of the earth and it brings that glucose up the tree and begins to nourish uh, the bud settings where the buds are going to begin and the whole tree gets a pinkish tone. And if you just sort of take a broad view of 
all the skeletized trees here in Maine, you can see, oh, they're starting to gain their life. Yeah. Before the buds even come, you can see, ah, we're approaching. And then when the buds start to come on, they get the real red in all of the treetops. The, the red buds of the, all of the deciduous trees begin to come out. And then, of course, when they open and start to produce chlorophyll and even that light yellow and green, then you're like, hey, spring is on the way. Here, summer is at hand, right? In Israel, it's, you know, we don't, we don't have the thaw you know, in Israel that we do here in New England. Uh, so, so that telltale sign of what's coming. All of these things, right? If you can, if you can, like, if you don't see the pink hue, you'd never notice that before. You know, never really paid attention to the red buds and how they begin to fill a tree. But definitely, when those first yellow and green kick in, you're like, oh man, the trees are budding, right? You're at least dialed into that. That okay. The trees are, in fact, budding. And there's a thrill and an excitement to what? Warm weather. And yes, even summer is actually going to, we are not going to endure frost and snow, you know, for the rest of our lives. It is a thrilling thing to emerge from winter into spring. The obvious signs of spring are here. When you see all of these things happening, right? You're not good at interpreting biblical prophecy and knowing, you know, are we close? When you see all of these things begin to happen, know that I'm at the door, is what he says. So you don't have to be, right? You don't, you don't have to have the gift of discernment. I said that mockingly. <clears throat> to, to interpret these things. When you start seeing all of these things happening, know that this generation will not disappear until all of these things have been fulfilled. When all of these things start to come in clusters, right? He likened it to birth pains earlier. You know, I described before when our oldest daughter Christian was born, we were so young and completely inexperienced with childbirthing and those Braxton Hicks arrived. We were panicked, man. This is it. Child is coming. You know, by the time the third daughter arrived, my life, my wife is like chilled right out. I mean, she's having Braxton Hicks where it like stop her dead in her tracks and like, you know, hang on to child and just breathe through and, you know, okay, and it subsides and go back to work. You know, I'm all like, what is going on? And she's just like, oh, nothing, you know. Because the experience has taught her, yeah, yeah, this is painful, but I'm, I'm not in labor. When all of those contractions are happening together and they are, you know, barely subsiding or not really subsiding as the next one hits, right, that's okay, we got a really serious issue happening when all of these things begin to happen together. You don't get to take a breath between, and there's the next one, and there's the next one, and there's the next one. That generation's not going to pass away before all of these things are fulfilled. You guys, all right, am I, am I exaggerating it when you watch the news? 
the things that are just kicking off right now, one right after the other. Uh, we, I'm old enough to where there might be enough time uh, I, I could potentially pass away before the Lord returns. But the Lord's return is not far off. There's just no way. With all the things, you, see, you know, there's definitely no way we can sit here and predict the dates. But everything we're seeing tells us, you know, on the doorstep. I'm very repetitious. Um, I, uh, I don't come up with much original, repeat the same things. And uh, I've given this illustration many times, you know, when, when Jesus is saying, you know, I'm at the door. Um, you know, if we invite people over for dinner, my wife usually goes through a process. I'll tell her, hey, you know, I asked so-and-so, and they responded and said they could come over. We have that free night, and uh, we're going to get together with them. And, and uh, okay, great. Uh, she'll contact usually the wife and say, you know, do you guys have any, like, uh, food issues? You know, so like, do you, are you vegetarian? Do you, you know, are you uh, gluten intolerant? Do you know, does somebody, uh, you know, not eat dairy? Uh, you know, do you like, what do you like? How do we, you know, she makes preparations. She's thoughtful. And she's, I'm just like, come over, you know, and we burn steak and oh, you're a vegetarian and I had no idea. So, you know, here's some celery. Uh, she's thoughtful and she goes through preparation processes. And, and she, you know, clean the house, and she got a list of things, and, you know, we're working all along the way. And then oh, the day, the day of, it's just like, you know, the head chef is in charge of everything. And, you know, you know you're know cleaning stuff in the yard you didn't even know needed to be taken care of, and just all this different stuff goes on. And then, you know, you approach, and they're going to be here at 6, and this, you know, when the knock comes at the door, and they're here... That's not the time to start going, now I wonder if they're vegetarians. The preparations happen before they're at the door. We are seeing these things happening. And when they're all happening together, Jesus says, I'm at the door. It's time to get ready. It's time to be ready. It's not time to sit around and debate about, is this really going to happen? This is the time to live ready. Jesus said that in his day. And I think it's very important for us to share that message with people. It's not time. Oh, they've always talked about prophecy. My grandmother used to drag us to church. And they, you know, they yammer on like uh, this is ordinary stuff that's happening. Uh, it's, it's interesting how um, our culture has developed in lots of different ways where cross-generational cross communication does not happen uh, the way it did many years ago. Younger generations don't... The youngest generations don't communicate with the oldest generations. And so there, there is very often now especially amongst the young people today, there is an attitude like the older generation knows nothing. And 
the older generation is very offended with the younger generation and says the younger generation knows nothing. And so they polarize. Um, our government school systems are one of the biggest contributors to that, where we isolate each grade level unto itself in every facet of uh, life. And it's so interesting to me because I've studied it as a school administrator. Um, <clears throat> the times where we'll let grades interact are when they can do the most harm to one another. Cut them loose on the playground where they're the most unsupervised and they can be the cruelest to one another in their communications. They just suffer the consequences and then put them back into isolations. You know, segregate each group unto itself. You know, we, we in running our school, integrated all of the grade levels uh, together with one another and actually made it a requirement that the upperclassmen worked with the underclassmen, helping them to learn things. And as a result, all of our, our teachers, young and old, and all of our students, all intermingled and communicated and shared with one, very comfortable with one another, and especially all of their private communications with one another. There was no barrier. And people took notice of that. Very, very young students. Uh, people would come and visit that were quite elderly, and those young students would go right to them, gravitate towards them, and communicate with them. There is so much wisdom in the older generations that needs to be imparted to the younger generations. And I say that as, I would say, I'm a younger person that needs elder wisdom. This communication. Here, you know, Jesus is saying, when you see all these things happening... You know, we start talking about the way the world is today and we sound like those old fogies. <laughs> you know, when I was a kid, we, you know, I just, the world has changed. And the younger generation is like the frog in the pot who's grown up as the heat has gone higher. And they, they're, they're not aware of how dramatically different, think dramatically different things are today than they were you know I, I turned around in Walmart yesterday uh, two days yeah yesterday uh, and uh, snow plowing all night I've lost track of what so I, I turn around and there is a six foot four uh, male slight scruff of beard dressed entirely in women's clothing dress on with, you know, his men's snow boots laced right up, headed into the automotive department. And there were young people around who, like, didn't hardly notice, you know, stop me dead in my tracks. You know, I, I had to take two and a half minutes to debate, am I about to go have a conversation with somebody or, uh, no, I absolutely can't. I don't have time. I have to go do what the Lord has called me to do right now. They're growing up in a world where this is commonplace. Totally unheard of. These things that are happening have not always been this way. And people should 
live lives prepared for what lies ahead. 32. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son of Man, or excuse me, nor the Son. I said that inappropriately, but only the Father. Once again, very, very strong indicator of the Trinity, the separation of persons. You know, um, you know those within what is referred to as the Jesus only movement. Uh, I try not to refer to it as that. I would encourage you as your pastor to use the term modalism. Okay. Because that was an ancient form of idolatry. And it was in many different belief systems. But the, the premise is that whatever God you're referring to, takes on a different mode, modalism, you know. Zeus could appear to be a man. Zeus could appear to be an eagle or appear as Zeus himself, depending on what mode he was in. And to take a pagan belief system and transpose it onto Christianity and say, oh, at times Jesus is God the Father, and at times he is the Holy Spirit, and at times he is Jesus, is a false teaching. It isn't just another brand of Christianity. It's a false teaching. And those that teach modalism in that way, uh, their denomination also teaches that you must be baptized by them in Jesus' name. So when the pastor uh, baptizes you in water, you have to say the magic words, I baptize you in the name of Jesus. If you say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you put them under the water and you stand them back up, they're not saved. You have to say, in Jesus' name. And then most of those churches, not all of them, those that teach modalism all teach baptismal salvation. Uh, but then some of them even going farther and say that when baptized in Jesus' name, uh, you either, usually when you come up out of the water, you will begin to speak in tongues because that's when you receive the Holy Spirit also. Uh, you know, the local churches that do this give a certificate of baptism in the Holy Spirit when you speak in tongues. So you get your credentials given to you at the same time. Modalism. Okay, that, you got to understand how false that is because that is to say, like, a show of hands, what four of us here, uh, have any of us specifically been baptized in Jesus' name that way? None of us. Okay. So... So none of us is saved according to their denomination's doctrinal position. None of us is saved. Uh, that is to say salvation comes through <clears throat> their method of baptism. Uh, so now Jesus shed blood on the cross does not satisfy the payment. You have to do and they have to do another portion 
of that. It's so much so, you guys, I'm not exaggerating this, so much so that if you receive Christ in their church, they want to baptize you right now because you could get killed in a car accident on the way home and you are not going to go to heaven because you haven't been baptized in Jesus' name. That's false teaching. And a whole bunch of Christianity just winks at that, like, oh, no, it's just a different... No, it's not. That is a false teaching, and it needs to be done away with. Here, right, Jesus is saying, I am so separate as, I hate to use the term, as my person, that I don't even know what the Father's ultimate plan of timing is in this situation. You know, we have to assume that upon his being on the throne in the presence of the Lord, that has been restored to him or given to him. But, you know, here in this setting, he had emptied himself of that and has no knowledge of it. He's separate from uh, the Father in that regard. Only the Father knows, take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming. In the evening, at midnight, at the crowning, oh, at midday or the uh, crown, excuse me, crow, I said crowning, at the crowing of the rooster or in the morning, uh, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch, live prepared. Uh, you know, Jesus in Matthew, when he uh, teaches uh, this whole um message in Matthew chapter 24. Then in Matthew chapter 25, he breaks that down into three sections. And each one of those sections is summarized by saying, watch and be ready. Watch and be ready. Watch and be ready. It's impossible to miss what Jesus is saying. Watch and be ready. <clears throat> You can't just be ready. You must be watchful. For what? His return. That's what he says over and over again. You need to be looking for the coming of, in each one of the settings, the promised one. Whatever illustration he uses, right? Here, the master goes away. He's going to return. The promised one is coming. You must be watching for him. Uh, so much of the church, you start talking about the rapture of the church, and they act like, oh, that's you know, that's a prophetic. The people get all crazy about that. No, no need to be focused on that. You know, just had a conversation with a couple who they come to our evening service. They attend another church, and they they come because their church doesn't have any evening service. And I have long encouraged them to stay in that church uh, because the Lord uses them there in their midst. And uh, they, they only come here because of the opportunity for the evening service. But one of the things they point out is that at their church, 
they do not teach prophecy. They avoid the subject altogether. They'll be right in a passage and they come to prophetic messages and they'll move beyond it and just pick up. They're, they're looking for right uh, communal action messages constantly. That's what their you know, congregation is going through. Just going through and where are the messages about my personal, you know, you know, motivation to spread the gospel and teach and share my faith in, you know, a communal setting. That's always what they're delivering. Great message, right? That's a great idea. That needs to be taught. Also, uh, they've asked their pastor specifically about it you know we we've been in this other bible study and they they always when they hit prophecy they they're always talking about that they always read that and he has said it makes people crazy you can't you can't know these things with a certainty and and it's just a lot of speculation and uh you know it, it turns people into christian nutcases so we just we're not going to do it we stay away from it you know 26.8, I think it was. I always I always change the number. Yeah, you guys remember the comedian Stephen Wright? Remember Stephen Wright? Anyway, Stephen Wright would say, uh, uh, you know, 36% of all statistics are made up on the spot. <laughs> Specifically that number, I don't know. Anyway, 41% of the time, apparently. But anyway, um, uh, you know, more than more than one quarter, almost one third of the Bible is prophecy. Very significant that that we would be studying that, especially that it you know where it occurs in your reading and there it's you know laid out. Why would you jump over it? That that to me, I don't know. It's very troubling to me, and and over and over and over again, especially New Testament. That, that those two messages are just blazing obvious from Jesus. Watch and live ready. And think about it, you guys. How much of the church is neither one of those things? They're not watchful and they're not ready. They're, they're just, they're doing worldly things. They're just, you know, I, I, I was astonished years ago. I, I was asked to be part of a, a church softball league, and uh, I showed up, and they're playing against a non-church group, another softball league, and there's all this beer, and then I come to realize all the beer is with the church league, and... I'm trying to be gracious. I'm appalled by it. But I'm trying to be gracious, and I, I, I'm like, you know, they must be just like weaker Christians, and they're trying to fit in. This is like a softball thing. And I discover that the non-Christian team has no alcohol present because their families are there, and they don't want their families around alcohol. The church league has brought theirs, and every they're like, I talked to a guy that literally had a designated driver to get home from the church softball league. Didn't I sound like the arrogant jerk? Because I'm, you know, by the end I'm preaching to all these guys about what is going on with your relationship with the Lord. 
And, you know, I basically get the calm down message. Because they're very content. Yeah. One of the brothers actually said, why can't you just be saved and satisfied? To which I, I said, I mean, he was beer on his breath. He's saying this to me. And I, I said to him, you know, I, I have to wonder if someone that could live like this as to whether they're saved or not. You know, when, when the unsaved people that are present are outshining you, there's a really serious problem. The church, that concept of just, you know, eternal security. And eternal, eternal security is real. I, I promote it. Say that's a real concept, right? I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But, but the, there is a false concept that is labeled as eternal security which is what we would more call preaching liberty, right? Freedom to sin. We've been freed from sin, not freed to go participate in it. To me, that's not watchful at all, and that's not ready. You're not, you're not living a life that says, my Lord and my Master could return at any moment, and he needs to find me doing the things that benefit him that prosper his kingdom, right? The talents given to each one and invested for him and returned to him and the condemnation comes to the one who, who buried his sum of money in the earth, invested what the Lord had given him in, could we say, earthly things. Buried it in the earth rather than investing it in the kingdom. Watchful and ready. The Lord wants us watchful and ready, and that's how we need to live. Amen? Amen. So uh, we'll pick up with chapter 14 when we're together next week. I'll, I'll stay, stay seated as we pray, because uh, otherwise my head goes out of the shot and people make comments on it online. So we'll just pray and uh, end right there for this evening. Father, we thank you very much for your love and your grace and your word, and we pray, Lord, that you would cause it to sink deep into our hearts, and I mean that, Lord, that we would be moved to be obedient, to see your, your will being done in our lives. Minister to us as only you can, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.